All right. Well, this morning we are going to be in Galatians chapter 2. Um, this next section is, is really one of the most loved sections of Scripture among followers of Jesus. Galatians 2, 15 through 21 sketches out the gospel that Paul proclaims in, in, in kind of this brief summary. We're going to look at this section over the next two weeks. So today we're going to look at Galatians 2, verses 15 through 18. Next Sunday we're going to be in verses 19 through 21. And my hope is that it will be a worshipful time. That we will remember and rejoice in the truth of the gospel and what God has done for us. And so let's read the text together and work through it. If you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along. Luke chapter, or so Luke, goodness, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, and reading through verse 18. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, so clearly displayed in these verses through Jesus. We ask for your help. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of this time. We ask that you'd speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 15 uh, begins with we. Paul is continuing his message to Peter. In other words, uh, Paul doesn't break away here from what he has already been saying in Galatians 2, as if he's making this incredible gospel-rich statement separate from what is going on. This is continuing from what we looked at last week where Paul confronted Peter. That word, we there, is referring to Paul and Peter. Paul and Peter were both Jews by nature. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. They were born as Jews, and as Jews, they were a part of God's covenant people. And so this paragraph is not first and foremost about what happens to Gentiles when they believe. It is first and foremost about what happens or should happen to a Jewish person when he or she believes in Jesus, the Messiah. Now, is it also true of Gentiles, of us, of anyone who believes in Jesus? Absolutely. But the context is a conversation between two Jewish people and a defense of the one true gospel and a defense against what Peter had started promoting about Gentiles by his actions. Paul and Peter are both Jews by nature, by birth. But Peter has been wavering on what that now means. 
He had a vision where God demonstrated to him that sharing a table fellowship with Gentiles was no longer unclean. And so he began to eat and fellowship with Gentile believers, knowing that God had made them all one family in Christ. But then, out of fear, we learned last week of some Jewish accusers, he pulled back. He withdrew from Gentile fellowship, separated himself from Gentiles, and led others to do the same. And Paul's still addressing that here. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. To be a Jew by birth was considered a privilege because Israel had been given God's covenant and promises. And so this was valued by many Jews and it led them to believe and and verbalize and act as if Gentiles were sinners because they didn't have the law or obey the law. They were sinful because they weren't circumcised and ate unclean food and, and ate that with unclean people. But Paul and Peter had the privilege of not being, quote, Gentile sinners. Now, is Paul, um, is Paul affirming here a continuation of that thought? The Jews are blessed and privileged and Gentiles are sinners? No, we, we see that in what he says after in verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, that's the clue for us. He doesn't, he's not continuing that thought, that wrong thought. He's making a very important point to Peter about the truth of the gospel and what the gospel accomplishes. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is where we're going to be for pretty much the entirety of this sermon. This statement is the main point of today's text. He stays here for the rest of the text. Paul is arguing here that no human being, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their background, whether they're Jew, whether they're Gentile, no human being can be declared to be right before God by doing good things, by doing good deeds, by obeying the law. Yes, Paul and Peter are Jewish and therefore a part of God's covenant people, but Paul is saying here, even though that's true, we know that doesn't and cannot save us. We know that we or anyone else cannot be saved apart from the work of Christ, not the work of us. A person is not justified by works of the law. So let's dig into this. What does Paul mean here when he says justified? This word justified is used four times in verses 16 and 17. Three times in verse 16, once in verse 17. And it's incredibly important for us. It comes from the same Greek root word that we get other words from, like just or justification or righteous or righteousness. And Martin Luther said this about it. 
This is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. So that sounds important. But what is it? What does justified mean as it relates to Christ and to us? Justification, the act of being justified, is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. God makes an announced decision stating that a sinner is righteous and also makes that person in doing that a part of a new kingdom of the righteous who will be with him Forever. It is God's verdict of not guilty on the day of judgment. God's verdict that ultimately has to do with the final judgment and eternity has now been announced in advance in Christ. In an instant, God declares those who are sinners to be in the right before him. Romans chapter 8 verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. But how? How is a sinner declared to be righteous? How is a sinner declared to be not a sinner? Paul tells us here, first, he says, it is not by works of the law. In other words, Paul is reminding Peter, you, you couldn't obey the law yourself. I couldn't obey the law myself, Paul is saying. No one could, and even if you could, it wouldn't be enough to rescue you. Because you couldn't be holy, you couldn't be righteous, you couldn't be pure enough to somehow earn your way to eternal happiness with God. The law, the law never worked to bring about justification. Justification only ever comes by God's grace through faith. Paul says it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The end of verse 16 says, We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2 say this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before God. 
As Paul says in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. There's not one thing in any of us that deserves or merits justification. It is a gracious act from a holy and gracious God. Justification is a declaration. God is making a judgment. Condemnation is what we deserve, but that's not what He declares of us by His grace. You are innocent. That's justification. God looking at you, knowing who you are, and saying, you are innocent. It's what we read together earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him from before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Innocent. But the truth is, we know that we are not innocent. Our actions scream otherwise. The psalmist was right. No one is righteous. No one who is living is righteous before God. Except for grace. God declares you are justified. Not you now are in a process of justification. You are justified fully. You are innocent completely. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins and those thoughts that we battle with, knowing I'm not innocent, those lies that conflict with what God has spoken of us, those bring the opposite of peace. And yet, God's work and God's grace, Paul says, since we have been declared righteous by faith, brings peace. Sinners stand before God and are declared righteous. Consider that. Someone guilty is declared to be innocent, righteous. And think deeply here. That sinner, whether it's you or me or anyone else ever, that sinner that God declares righteous is not a sinner who has been regretful for what they have done wrong. Not at all. We have lived willingly all of our lives going against God's law and God by His grace says not guilty.
He forgives their sins. God says to that person, you're not guilty anymore. You have peace with God. You're innocent. You won't be condemned. Now again, how is this possible? Paul says through faith in Jesus Christ. Why faith in Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, who is judge over all the earth, takes the righteousness of Jesus and credits it to the account of all who trust in him. Just as he took the punishment that they deserved and the guilt of their sin and credited it to Jesus' account. Let me pause here. Because I think in our flesh we're tempted, even, even as earlier I said, that God declares those righteous who never even regretted their sin. And I think we're tempted to think, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I did confess my sin and he forgave me. But the question is, why did you do that? How did you do that? Why were you going full speed against God and all of a sudden turned and said, I'm sorry, because of grace? Paul tells us that in Ephesians 2, that faith, faith in and of itself is a gift, a gracious gift from God that he, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, turned on the lights. The God of this world had blinded your eyes, but God in his grace has shown in our hearts to give, to grace us with the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. So in an instant, God's grace pours into us, turns on the lights, and for the first time ever, by His grace, we're sorry. We're sorry for what we've done because of His grace that also brings about justification. It is all a gift. God credits the righteousness of Jesus to the account of all who trust in Him. And that's the horror and the beauty of the cross. Jesus willingly goes to the cross to take the punishment of our sins upon Himself. Romans 3, beginning with verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
So here in Romans, Paul is answering the question all of us should ask at some point. How is it okay for God to forgive sins and say that the sinner is righteous? That wouldn't even stand up in in even our broken justice system. So how is that okay? Because at the same time, God is just following through with the righteous decree that sin will be punished and not swept under the rug and also the promise that He will justify sinners. He is faithful to both of those things. Remember when Moses asked to see God's glory and God told him that he would pass by but that Moses couldn't see his face and so God hides him in a cave. Do you remember what the Lord said when he passed by Moses in Exodus Chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but... Who will by no means clear the guilty? Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? How can both of those things possibly be true? How can God say of himself, I will forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, but I'm not going to clear the guilty when all of us are guilty? How does he do both? And the answer that Paul's giving us here is through Jesus. He is both just and the justifier of sins through Jesus. Sin has never gone unpunished. So often people will read the Bible and say that God was angry in the Old Testament and then calmed down in the New Testament, and is not true. God's wrath, the same wrath that we read through and through the Old Testament, was poured out on Jesus for the sins of any and all who would come to Him in faith. Any and all who would believe in what Christ accomplished are justified. So God is just in punishing sin in Jesus and the justifier of all who believe in Christ for salvation. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, the question, how are you righteous before God? The answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, I'm still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ had rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart." Paul's saying here in Galatians 2, so we believe in the Messiah, 
We believe in the Christ in order to be justified by faith in Jesus. Verse 17 continues, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, this is interesting. What does Paul mean here? Well, this is what the Jewish people, particularly the, the rival teachers that he is um, writing to, to combat, the accusers of Paul and those that Peter feared, that's what they were doing. They were, they were saying that, that it was sin what Paul was promoting. That his gospel was a false gospel. Paul says, okay, if, if we're found to be sinners here, because now we say that we have fellowship with Gentiles, does that mean that Christ is a servant of sin since he has inaugurated these things? Paul's answer is by no means, uh, certainly not. Why? Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, to go back and live as if the law is needed for salvation after you have been saved through faith in Jesus is to rebuild the system that I tore down, Paul's saying. It's like going back to Egypt to enslavement after being set free and led to freedom and to the promised land. Christ does not promote sin. Paul's saying it's those who live under the law who are revealed to be transgressors, hoping in something that could never set them free. But was torn down refers to the Old Testament law. Paul's saying it's not sin what we are doing. It's freedom. It's freedom in Christ. It's unity in Christ. It's a kingdom of followers of the Messiah, Jesus, who have been declared righteous, not based on their ethnicity or their works or their knowledge of the law or their feeble attempts to keep the law, but simply and solely on their trust in Jesus, the Messiah who has suffered for our sins and invited us to the table to fellowship and feast with Him. Paul's reminding Peter here that God has accepted the Gentiles even though they're not circumcised and they don't eat what the old covenant says to eat. And so if God has accepted them, then so should we, Paul's saying, meaning Paul and Peter and then all of us. It is through faith in Christ that Jews and Gentiles are accepted before God. And it's through faith in Christ that you and I will be accepted before God. What an amazing and wonderful thought that we would be accepted before God. And so let me ask you today before we close, where is your hope? Sincerely, where is your hope? If you're being honest, is your hope in what you are doing? 
in something that you have done in the past, in the good deeds that you're striving to live in daily? Or can you honestly say that your hope rests solely in the work of Christ alone? That you know that anything you strive to do will fall short of God's glory always. That your very best will never be enough to earn or deserve salvation. That even in our worshiping, how often are our minds led astray and distracted from the glory of the Lord? In our praying, thinking about our to-do lists rather than the cross. Even in our best intentions, we fail again and again and again. But Christ never failed. Christ lived the life that we long to live and never could. Perfect, holy in all of His ways. And His record is counted to you. And His death is counted for you. It is all the work of Christ. We're going to go into a time where we are going to come to the table, the table where we remember the work of Christ on the cross for us. His body was literally broken. His blood was poured out for our sins. And as we do, let's repent of any and all hope that we have placed in ourselves. Any thoughts of, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. And let's renew our hope in Christ alone for our righteousness. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. Your kindness shown fully through Jesus. We praise you and we ask you to help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be people who love the truth of the gospel. Jesus, that you did everything. That you lived the life that we cannot live and you died willingly, taking the punishment that every single one of us deserves. And that you rose from the dead and that you call to us, come. And that whoever believes on you will not perish, but have everlasting life because of the verdict, God, that you have given through Christ of us, that we are clean, that we're forgiven. Help us to remember rightly and help us to worship you rightly in that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.